0: in 1 kings chapters 18 and 19 we have the account of elijah elijah has this fantastic victory on mount carmel he has this fantastic victory putting to death hundreds and hundreds of false prophets and it's a it's a stunning victory over ahab and jezebel and so after that incredible victory Jezebel says that she's going to take Ahab's life basically she said that she would make his life like one of theirs by tomorrow and as we know from the introductory verses of chapter 19 Elijah runs for his life he runs for his life and he winds up eventually at this cave and in 1 Kings 19 in verse 9 God says to Elijah what are you doing here Elijah What are you doing here, Elijah? So in verse 10, Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Despite all of the struggles of Elijah, despite everything he had experienced for struggles in his service to God, in the next couple of verses, verses 11 and 12, God simply goes on to display his great power and might. As if to say to Elijah, I am the all-powerful God. Seeking and serving me should be the only thing on earth that matters to you no matter what. It's as if with all that power and might and and display that that God is just saying to Elijah, that's who I am, and you just worry about serving me. Then, though, in, in verse 13, he asks Elijah again to see if Elijah got the point. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Evidently, Elijah didn't quite get the point, because Elijah went right back to all those other things that he was concerned about. Tonight want to ask us a somewhat similar question one that also serves as the title of this evening's lesson and that is this why are you here now when I say why are you here I don't just simply mean what are you physically doing here In this church building at this moment just this evening that's not what I'm asking you but when I ask you why are you here what I am talking about primarily and overall is why are you here in the Lord's Church as a faithful I'm not going anywhere member of the Lord's Church that is of the churches of Christ that we see in Scripture Romans chapter 16 and verse 16 that's what I mean by why are you here why are you here in that church or if you're somebody that is watching this later on on the Internet and you're not here as I've described it you're not a member of the Lord's church you're not a member of that church we see in scripture you're not a faithful long time member of that church then the question for you instead is why are you not here And the answer all comes down to one very simple thing in both cases and that answer is simply that what one is looking for in a church or religious group determines where they're going to be. Tonight, I want to take a look at some of those things. And I want to begin with this one. Sometimes, people that are looking for a church, seeking a church, looking for a church, a church family and or hope for their eternal lives, are greatly influenced by the beauty and allure of certain buildings, they are. Even though the church is not a building, even though the Apostle Paul preached and converted souls successfully on the banks of a river as well as in the depths of incarceration, and even in spite of the fact that buildings are all going to be destroyed in the end anyway, a lot of people are attracted first and foremost to the church building. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 13 and verse 1, if you would, please. People have always been enamored with physical buildings. Mark 13 and verse 1 says, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said, him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Man, they were just so impressed by those buildings, weren't they? In a parallel passage, I'm not gonna turn there, but in a parallel passage in Luke 21 in verse five, he adds how people were talking about how it was, quote, adorned with beautiful stones and donations, unquote. I've read in a commentary where if you, at certain times the temple in those days when it was adorned and shining in the afternoon sun that if you were over on one of the other Uh, ridges and looking across and the Sun was just right it would look like the Temple Mount was just gleaming or glowing because of the the polished marble and and those sorts of things that were there Mark continues in Mark 13 in verse 2 after they're just so impressed with these incredible buildings Jesus answered and said to him do you see these great buildings not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down Jesus said it's not about the building. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, we would read about how when Jesus comes like a thief in the night, that the elements are gonna be dissolved and burnt up, and that includes all the most ornate church buildings. Doesn't matter what they're built out of, but those aren't going to matter in the last day when the heavens and the earth pass away and we're all brought before the judgment throne of God. Another huge reason why some people will choose a particular church or religious group when they start looking for a church to go to or or want to continue to go to it is because that's the church or religious group that their parents or grandparents were part of. And as a result, they're gonna go there because their parents and grandparents did. That's that's the overriding reason. And they're also gonna come to hate or have nothing to do with a different Religious group, if indeed their parents hated that other religious group. But as we see in the scriptures, if one is truly concerned for their eternal soul, then they must not just blindly follow in their parents' footsteps simply because that's where they went and what they believed. And I want to give you a couple examples of that. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And, you know, sometimes we bump into people that say, well, you know, my parents went here, my grandparents went here, and so that's where I'm going. Well, I want to give you a couple of examples that show us biblical characters who are more concerned for their own souls than they were just keeping up the family tradition. In the Old Testament, please turn to me to 2 Kings chapter 21. We're gonna talk about King Josiah for just a minute, but we're gonna begin with his grandfather. Second Kings chapter 21, if you'd please turn back there with me. We've got to understand the impact of these two characters that I'm telling you about when it comes to choosing a church or religious group or beliefs or doctrine based on what your parents did. In Second Kings chapter 21, verses one and two, it says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hevzebah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. If we move down to verse 16 in this same chapter, you can read the whole thing later. I'm just hitting a couple of highlights here. Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood. We we read about that this morning, about what God thinks of that. Till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Manasseh was an evil man. Manasseh was an ungodly man. As we look over or further down just a little bit in verse 18, it talks about when he died. It says So Manasseh rested with his fathers, was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshelemeth, the daughter of Heruze of Joth- Jabath, Jotba, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. You see, Ammon chose to do exactly what his father had done when it came to religion. He walked in all the ways that his father had walked. He served the idols his father had served and worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Ammon was another evil, ungodly man who followed in his father's religious footsteps. The very last verse of chapter 21 says, And he was buried in the tomb in the Garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. But it tells us in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And I want you to look at the end of his life over in chapter 23, verse 25, at the glowing epitaph of Josiah. Now before him, 2 Kings 23 and verse 25, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Josiah had a lineage that was doing some religious stuff God didn't approve of, and that's putting it about as lightly and tactfully as I can possibly put it. But Josiah did not choose his religious beliefs or convictions based on his father's or his grandfather's, on his parents or his grandparents. Josiah chose to follow God because God was the most important thing to him, not his father's or grandfather's beliefs or convictions. And it would be easy to say, well, wait a minute, you know, they, what they did was, you know, an abomination of the grandfather and the father. Well, we learned this morning that It's an abomination not to worship the way God has told us to worship. However, if it's more palatable as as it were to look at a a religious father and son, one who, a father who did noble things to a degree, let us turn to the New Testament example of, of something that often gets overlooked in Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. One verse says it all. In Acts 23 in verse six, it says, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. That says so much and we read right over that little phrase. Paul says, not only am I a Pharisee, but I am the son of Of a Pharisee we know from Philippians chapter 3 that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews he was of the tribe of Benjamin that he was circumcised the eighth day and when you understand that his father was a Pharisee you can understand why he not only that but you can understand what it says back in Acts 22 just a chapter back verses 1 through 5 where Paul says brethren and fathers hear my defense before you now when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he, said to, then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as, all, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, when you understand that his dad was a Pharisee, and he was raised, it makes sense that he'd be raised under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of that century. It makes perfect sense. It would makes perfect sense that as a Pharisee, he and a son of a Pharisee, he would go after Christians. That's what the Pharisees had done. They had crucified Christ and, and gone after Peter and the other apostles in Acts 4 and 5. And, but you've got to understand here, we all know the, the incredible turnaround that Paul made. When Paul came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus and he's, he's blinded and he goes into the city and Ananias shows up and, and says to him, tells him what he must do, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins and immediately Paul does it. Well, we've got to understand here that is a complete rejection of his father's religion. We often miss that point or forget it. That was a total I'm more concerned for my relationship with Jesus than I am with my father's religion. We cannot choose a religion or set of religious beliefs if we're truly concerned about our soul, strictly and only because our parents chose it. If your top priority is truly the salvation of your soul, then it must be because of your own personal love for, faith in, and obedience to God and his commandments. And not primarily because of your parents spiritual concerns or conclusions or considerations and I personally believe own personal opinion I believe that it is or was because Jesus knew so incredibly well how sometimes we will just tend to blindly follow in our parents footsteps that he addressed this truth so powerfully in Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 and 8 in Matthew chapter 10 Verses 37 and eight, Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. A third particular reason why some people choose one particular church or religious group over another, Nisabigan, is a big one. It's because they are just so comfortable there. They are just so comfortable there. It is in line with what they have already chosen to make up their minds to believe, even if what they believe is totally unscriptural. It's comfortable because. What they've chosen to want to believe is what is taught. And so it's easy. And the last thing that they are going to do is to be part of a church or religious group that is going to challenge them to reconsider their erroneous religious conclusions or convictions in light of what the scripture says. Psalm 119, verse 105. Think about it. Think about how this is seen in the scriptures themselves you will recall that this was the problem in john chapter six and i just preached on this recently you recall in john chapter six where jesus was preaching in the synagogue in capernaum he told them they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood or they couldn't be his disciples they said many of them said it's a hard teaching who can understand it Jesus converses with them a little bit more, and then in verse 66, it says, And from that time on, many of his disciples walked away and followed him no more. It wasn't comfortable for man to talk about eating his flesh and and drinking his blood and, and not understanding the figures of speech Jesus was using and not caring to take the time to learn what Jesus was talking about because they were uncomfortable, because they were challenged, They walked away. This has always been a problem with God's people, wanting to just be comfortable. Recall with me in the Old Testament, or look back with me in the Old Testament to Isaiah 30. It's always been a problem, just give me the easy stuff. Don't challenge me, let me be comfortable. It's always been a temptation of God's people. Back in Isaiah chapter 30, we'd start in verse eight and note this. Isaiah 30, verse eight. God said to Isaiah, about his own people. Now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Here comes the part I want, who say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth, make us don't, don't, don't tell us those things that, that God wants us to hear. Do not prophesy to us right things. Do not challenge us. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Do you understand the impact of verse 11? Get out of, you are standing in our way. You have got to turn aside from the commandments of God. That's what they're saying. Turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We don't want to hear what God said because it's too challenging for us. Just keep it easy. Keep it smooth. Keep us comfortable. We don't want to hear all that other stuff. This is why everybody from elder to deacon to preacher to teacher to every member of the Lord's Church must preach the word be ready in season and out of season convince rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and teaching first Timothy 4 1 and 2 why because of the next two verses 3 & 4 which say For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Is the truth tough sometimes? Does the truth challenge us to look at ourselves sometimes? If you think the truth is hard to listen to sometimes, let me tell you what, the truth is hard to preach sometimes too. but it's still the truth. And so, in those who don't want to be challenged and say, just just tickle our ears, just tell us the smooth stuff, it is that comfort within which they have chosen to believe, even if it is not biblical, which causes them to flee from any biblical, honest, truthful examination of those beliefs, and it is a tragic error in the name of momentary earthly comfort that will one day cost them the ultimate and eternal comfort of being with jesus forever john chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 and and oh how i wish some of those people that were so laser focused in on john 3 and verse 16 would be just that focused in on verses 19 through 21 a little further down in that chapter a fourth Major reason why some folks choose the church or, or religious group they do is for the social aspect. Some friend, loved one, someone they associate or socialize or recreate or identify with goes there. That's why they choose it. Some friend, relative, loved one, coworker, classmate, whoever or maybe because they've grown really close to one or more families or one or more members of that particular religious group, so that's why they go there. We'll just shorten that up and say social comfort and familiarity, if you will. Social comfort, because somebody I respect, love, goes there. I want you to really hear me on this far and wide, loud and clear, brothers and sisters. The problem with that, if you go there just because somebody, or, or listing on here, if, if you choose a church just because somebody that you know goes there, or somebody you love goes there, the problem with that is that because sooner or later, everybody, because we're all only human, is going to let you down. Sooner or later. At some point in time, everybody, no matter who they are, is more than likely, very, very likely going to let you down. They are going to disappoint you, disagree with you, and in some cases, even totally disavow, desert, and deliberately abandon you over something at some point, period. And so, if that's why you've chosen that place, when that happens, where does that leave you? We see great men of faith talking about this very problem. We would note that, that David addressed and experienced this in Psalm 55, nine through 21. We also see that it happened to such great men of faith as Paul and Barnabas and John Mark in Acts fifteen thirty-six through 40. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul had to say about it in 2 Timothy 4. Turn there with me, if you would, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to begin at verse 9. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 9. We get a lot of good sermons out of the first few verses, then we leave the rest of this behind. Tonight we're not going to do it. Verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Keep in mind that these are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul right here on this page, at least in my Bible. Well, we got Titus too, sorry about that. But anyway, your chronology, 2 Timothy. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, Only Luke is with me get mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come into books especially the parchments now some of these men he sent away one of them has left but I want you the verse I want as we continue down through is coming verse 14 Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm may the Lord repay him according to his works you also must be aware of him for he has greatly resisted our words Here it comes, verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. What happened to all those people? Paul worked with, traveled with, baptized. What happened to all those people in Acts chapter 28, verses 13 through 15, who, who rushed to meet him as he's, as he's coming to Rome, and they went up to the Apian Way, and, and, and all of those brethren whose homes he had stayed, where are they? At my first defense, no one stood with me. Every, he, when he says all forsook me, he's talking about Christian brothers and sisters. Don't, don't miss that. He's talking about those men and women whom he had converted, whom he had had relationships uh, in Christ with. He said they all left. May it not be charged against them. You see sometimes when the going gets tough and you need them the most, brethren are nowhere to be found very similar to what happened with Jesus on the cross. Think of everything Jesus had done. He'd healed so many, he'd raised the dead, he traveled and, and taught and, and done all these things, and yet the day when he is most in need and he's hanging on that cross, there is one thief that day who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, showed that he, he believed in what Jesus had to say. Even Jesus' closest inner circles, inner circle of disciples, peter one of his closest co-workers for three and a half years in the church closest think of the closest person in the church to you the closest person in the church to you you've, you've worked with them you've done all of these things you've maybe gone on a mission trip or vbs or you've door you i mean they were always and you just you were co-workers that's peter and jesus and that very night when jesus needed somebody most peter denied him and with a curse after three and a half years of being close coworkers and the people, no matter what, people are only human and there's going to be times they're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They may even desert, abandon and disavow you. It happened to Jesus. So if you're going to a church or religious group because, simply because of the people, then your hope is built on shifting sand and one of these days it will turn into quicksand because despite our best efforts, as we all know, sometimes people still let people down. Another reason that people choose to either stay with or go from a certain religious group is because of this perception, at least, of the amount of power and influence they either want or seem to think they hold over and within that group, whether it's real or imagined. This is one of humanity's biggest weaknesses. It has always been one of humanity's biggest weaknesses. Remember remember in Matthew chapter 20 verses 20 through 28, remember when James and John had mommy come to Jesus? We want the best seats in the kingdom. did not matter about the others, man, we wanna climb the ladder, we wanna, we wanna sneak in here and take the, what's that? that's power. Because people have this tendency to want their own way all the time, this is is the problem that Paul addressed also in Acts 21, 27 through 31, when he talks to the Ephesian elders and he tells them that from among their own midst, from among their own midst, I don't know if that was, there's debate on whether that means from amongst your own midst means the eldership itself in Ephesus or the congregation as a whole, but one way or the other, he said there's gonna be men that are gonna rise to draw away disciples after themselves and, and Paul warned that. He said, that's, that's coming, and you've got to understand why. Because people want their own way. This is nothing new. They want power. They want to lord it over. The reason for the apostle Peter's warnings. Peter issues three warnings. One to the new convert Simon in Acts 8, 9 through 23. One to his fellow elders in 1 Peter 5 and verse 3 as well as one to the whole congregation in 2 Peter 1 through three, or to several congregations in 2 Peter 1 through three. And all of those warnings have to do with the same thing. People are gonna wanna lord it over you. We even see it with one first century church leader named Diotrephes who thought he could control or rule over or make the entire church do what he wanted despite the fact that in order to do so, he had to deny the apostles' teaching Third John, verses nine through 11. He had to deny the apostles' teaching, put people out of the church, wouldn't listen to what the apostles said. This guy was intent on getting his own way. What do you think happens when somebody, John basically says, look, when I get there, I'm dealing with him. (laughs) What do you think though happens when somebody like that comes to the point where they don't get their own way? I think Judas Iscariot's a perfect example. Judas Iscariot had a problem with a financial decision that was made by leadership. Jesus decided it was okay to break the vial and Judas didn't like that. So because he pilfered the money box, he wanted the vial of perfume sold and said, oh, it could be given to the poor, but, but his input into the financial decision was not important. And so because he didn't get his own way, he sold out the entire group. At this point, I want to go back to the question I asked you at the beginning, why are you here? And by here, I mean after all of these years, why are you still a faithful, present, in attendance, I'm not going anywhere, member of the Lord's one New Testament church which we see in scripture? Why are you here? See. You don't have to answer the question. I already know the answer. You don't have to tell me because I know. Let's tie it to the lesson. It is not because of the beauty of the building. I mean, no disrespect, but it's not because of the beauty of the building. There are a lot more attractive church buildings that are a little prettier and more attractive in Shoto and Pryor than this one. Okay. Number two, I certainly hope it's not because this is where your parents go or went if you're over 18. Not just for that. Now, it's okay. Now, I knew I was was gonna get to this disclaimer and hopefully you knew it too. It's okay to go where your parents went as long as your parents were biblically on track with where they went. But see, if you're over 18, 20, somewhere in that range, if you're an adult, then you need to go where you go because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not because of your relationship with your parents or your grandparents. And if you are under 18, and there's a whole bunch here right down here in the front row, if you're under 18, then I certainly hope that you are working on building your own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while you are home in your parents' house because you're gonna need it you're going to need it because you are definitely not going to heaven riding on the wings of your parents faith. Number three, I know that it's not because I know that you're not still here and answering the question why are you here in the Lord's Church after all these years still I know number three that it is not because you're absolutely comfortable and at ease with everything that has either been or is being taught How do I know that? Because I know that for many, many years in the Lord's church, that you have been exposed to life-changing, faith-challenging, thought-provoking teaching. And if you only wanted comfortable, ear-tickling, smooth stuff that already agreed with everything you've ever believed, no matter where it came from, then you would not be here, Proverbs 18, verses one and two. I also know that you're not still here just because of the people or social aspect because probably every single one of you if you were honest with yourselves probably every single one of you would confess that we have been hurt by another member of the church at some point in time somebody said something did something probably every single one of us has been hurt by angry at or disappointed in the words or actions or decisions of another brother and sister at some point. And we had to deal with it and move on in order to stay and work together. And lastly, I also know that the reason you're still here is not because you've always had to have your own way because nobody gets their own way in everything they want in the church. Elders don't always get their own way and I'm talking individual elders. Deacons don't always get their own way. Preachers don't always get their own way. Teachers don't, members don't always get their own way. They don't always get to dictate what happens And, and if so, if that were you, you wouldn't be here so that's not why you're here either. This is community. I'll tell you why you're still here. You're still here as a member of the Lord's church because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because your relationship with Jesus is more important than all of those other things I've mentioned, therefore, it doesn't matter what the building you worship in looks like. It doesn't even matter if you don't worship in a building. It doesn't matter where your mother father sister brother son daughter wife husband or anybody else worships or doesn't worship it doesn't matter what religion you were raised in or what your family casts you out of it doesn't matter how thought-provoking life-changing or hard to understand the teaching gets at times. It doesn't matter even if every single member of the church either hurts you, disappoints you, disagrees with you, or distances themselves from you, and it doesn't matter if you have no power, it doesn't matter if no one ever listens to you, or if no decision ever goes your way again. You see, the answer to the question, why are you still here, is the same as Peter's in John chapter 6, when Jesus asked his disciples if they wanted to leave, verses 68 and 9 but Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ the Son of the Living God that's why you're here and when that's why you're here because you know he has the words of eternal life, because you know that this is his church, because you know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, then none of that other stuff has ever, does ever, or will ever matter, ever. The reason why you are here is because you understand that you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. And when you understand that, hence none of that other stuff has ever does ever or will ever matter ever the reason why you are here in the lord's church is because that you have come to know and understand that as a blood-bought member of his church, that you are a part of the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And when you understand that, then none of that other stuff has ever, does ever, or will ever matter, ever. And if there ever does come a time when any of those other things begin to matter more than your relationship with Jesus Christ, then your being here will be in danger of disappearing. Because buildings and people and all of those other things don't get the job done. Only Jesus gets the job done. And when Jesus is the only reason, then it doesn't matter about anything else. Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the thunder and the lightning and everything coming in and God showed his power and God, God trying to put a cross to Elijah, Elijah, I'm God. I'm the only thing that matters. All that other struggle you've been through, that's not what's important, just serve me. I should be the thing that matters. And God wants us to know the same thing. That's why you're here, that's why I'm here. Don't ever let any of those other things become the reason why you come to or don't come to worship. Don't ever let any of those other things be the reason why you are either a member of the Lord's church, a faithful member of the Lord's church, or not a faithful member of the Lord's church. Because Jesus is the only way, he is the only truth, he is the only life, and he only has one church. And he is the only reason that will continue to keep you here where you need to be in his one church or kingdom that he will deliver up to the Father on Judgment Day. And that is why you are here. Because if it wasn't, you wouldn't be. Because every one of those other things will let you down. That is why you're here unless of course you're only physical here, physically here and not spiritually here. And what do I mean by that? You can be physically here in the church building and not be spiritually here, meaning you're not in Christ yet. You're not in Christ, you're not in his church kingdom, which is not the building. You're in the physical building, but you're not in the spiritual building, the church, the body. We can fix that tonight. But I'll tell you right now, when Jesus washes your sins away and you rise up to walk in newness of life, that puts you in a relationship with Jesus Christ where you're his son or daughter. What that means, that commitment on your part, his commitment is as long as you continue to confess your sins, he will continually cleanse your sins, 1 John 1, five through nine. But what that entails is that your relationship with him is what will always keep you in the church of Christ. Even when the building falls down, even when the people fail to meet your expectations, even when you don't get your own way, None of that matters. Only thing that matters is going to heaven. That's why you're here. We'd love to have you become a part of that church tonight. If you have a need to do that or for the prayers of the church, let us know right now as we stand and sing.